morning, everybody. Glad you guys are here this morning. I want to encourage you, if, you, if you've got uh, the Ignite Church app, you can go ahead and take that out under... Um, uh, there's a place for resources that we're going to refer to later in the message. Also, uh, notes for the message that you can kind of follow along with everything that we're doing today. Uh, why don't we just take a minute before we jump into the message and just bow our heads and uh, open up our hearts to God and just invite him to come and speak to us. Let's pray. Father, we are, th- we are grateful to be here to be able to worship today. God, we're grateful that, that uh, through Christ we can come near to you and we can hear from you and we can uh, be ministered to by, by you and filled uh, up by you as well and that you have great plans for our life to lead us, to direct us, to bring us to life in ways we can't even imagine. Lord, I pray that as we look into your word today, would you lead us, would you guide us um, for our good and for your glory. Come and have your way. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start out this morning by asking you a quick question, uh, and and we're going to get answers by a show of hands, okay? It's a setup if ever you've heard one, but that's okay. Go with me. I want to know by show of hands, how many of us would would like to say that we'd like to grow in our faith and confidence in God in the coming year? How many of us would say that we'd like to experience God's blessing more and more and more in our lives in the upcoming year? If that's you and that's your reality, you really would like to grow spiritually this year, I want you to raise your hand. Good. Now, my question is, do you mean that? (laughs) Because today we're going to talk about a question. We're going to talk about a topic today that is absolutely critical to seeing us grow more and more in our faith this year. It's, It's central towards growing in your love and your devotion towards Jesus. It's promised to bring about spiritual blessing in your life in greater and greater measure. It is one truth that if you and I were to embrace it and to put it into practice in our lives, it would bring drastic change and it would be it would be amazing. It really would be a, a year of unprecedented kind of growth. We would grow in our faith in 2016. And yet, I have to say, it's one of those topics that the minute I start talking about it, we will be tempted, many of us will be tempted to sort of push it off and be like, ah, cross our arms and be like, yeah, I don't really want what you're selling kind of thing. Okay. What do you think, my t- what do you think the topic is? Yes! <laughs> did you cheat and look in the, in the program? Or did you kind of, okay, good, good. Yeah, our money, right? And specifically learning to depend and trust God with it. It's, it's a kind of volatile sort of talk, topic. But let me just say, there, are, there may be some pastors that, uh, that uh, like teaching on money and sort of like to, to turn up the fire under people and, and talk on this topic like that. I would not be one of them. I teach on them because I think in order to be a, a faithful uh, teacher of God's book, I, you got to teach on the topic because if you want to access people's hearts, you've got to talk about the topic of money because if we want to get to the bottom of what is really most important in our lives, we've got to talk about money. And so if you are new or newer to Ignite, can I just say I'm sorry a little bit? Like we don't talk. I'm not going to talk about this like this way every week or anything like that. And yet the same principles that we're going to be talking about today do apply to you, but you're, you're also free to kind of come at your own pace, learn, grow, check out Jesus. Jesus, check out God's stuff. Uh, check out Ignite, at, you know, with no strings attached. So, so know that that's the case. Uh, but there, there is blessing. There's life involved as we put these things that we're going to talk about today into practice. For the rest of you, those that kind of consider Ignite to be your home, I'm going to ask for permission for the next few minutes if I can sort of push into this area a little bit. Because not because God is after your money, not because the church needs your money. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to stay engaged and to sort of open up your hearts to God on this topic this morning because I really believe that God's way is best for you because I really believe that th- this is the best way to live because I believe that what God says is true, that there is blessing to be had in your life, spiritual blessing, literally, as we open up our, the whole of our lives to God, and that includes the whole area of, of finances and money and that kind of stuff. It's, it's the reason why we as a family practice everything that I'm going to be talking about today. Um, I want to share this stuff with you today because it is absolutely crucial to your spiritual growth. It's crucial to your life with God, and it's crucial to learning to walk a life of faith. That's why one sixth of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, sort of the auto, the, the biographies about Jesus, one sixth of them talk about and deal with this issue of money. It's why one out of every three parables that Jesus taught had to do with money. It's a big deal. And the truth of the matter is I would not be faithful to God's book if I didn't touch on this subject from time to time. Now, God's been speaking to me uh, on this topic, I feel like, a ton this week, and I really believe that you and I will merely play around with church and we'll kind of skim along the surface of our spiritual lives until we deal with this issue. So it's a big deal, uh, don't, but don't take my word for it. Look, look at the words of Jesus himself. Listen to this, Matthew six nineteen through 21. He says this, he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy. I don't like the word vermin, don't you? We should, it's a word we should bring back, vermin. <laughs> don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, it says, there your heart will be also. Right now, hear this. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need my money. He owns everything that is. I read this week uh, and was reminded of the story when uh, they're talk- Jesus and his disciples are walking alongside the lake and they're talking about taxes. Like, is, should we pay our taxes or should we not? And Jesus says, you know, give me a coin. You know, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to God what's God's, which is sort of a, a good answer and a fun answer. And then he says, but do this. Go out into the lake. Throw out your lines. The first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you'll, inside you'll find a coin that'll be enough to pay for your taxes and mine to go in and worship, right? And I, was, I read that this week, and I just thought, yeah, I mean, God owns everything that is. Is, is God ever in need? Is Jesus broke, right? I mean, is he like, man, I, I, I got nothing? He, he can speak and have everything he needs, right? God, is not, God does not need our money. What God wants is our hearts, He's after our hearts, right? Because that's who we're made for him. We're made for his glory and for his pleasure. We're made for right relationship with him. And, and be, because he's after our hearts, he says, what? Settle this money issue because there's a link. Uh, where we spend our money, our hearts naturally follow. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also giving. And this deal of money is really a heart issue. It's a faith issue. It's an issue, a spiritual issue, an issue between us and God. Like we talked about last week, Bill Allison talked about this last week. You can look at a person's finances and tell what it is that they're passionate about. You can tell what it is that they most believe and what it is they most value and treasure. And so as a result, this whole issue of our checkbook and our finances is a huge deal to God. At the end of this section uh, where Jesus is teaching, he says this, he says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. 
He will either hate one and love the other or vice versa. He'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. It's kind of a harsh statement if you think about it. He's saying this is a big deal. If you love and serve and go after money and stuff and all that kind of stuff, what does he say that means about you and God? You will, you hate God and vice versa. It's a huge statement. The way we deal with our money has huge impact on our faith, on our hearts, and our relationship with God. Our leadership huddle is uh, actually right now reading through a book blessed life. It's a, it's a great read. I've got it in back. If, if you're interested, you can take a look at it after the service today. But uh, it's written by Robert Morris. And in it, he tells a story about a time when he was kind of a young pastor, kind of a traveling evangelist. And he would go around from church to church to church, just kind of speaking. And any place he'd get invited, he'd go in, he'd bring the message. And he actually, this is a picture of him. He actually made his money in those days. His salary was entirely made up of love gifts, which is kind of a churchy way of saying like people would take an offering for him at the end of the service. And whatever he got in the offering was what he had to live on for the week. He and his family had to live on for the week. But he says this. He says, as a traveling evangelist, all of my income from the love offerings I receive from the churches is, uh, is uh, in, I'm sorry, as a traveling evangelist, all of my income came from the love offerings I received from the churches in which I preached. In those days, he says, my income uh, from offerings might be $800 one week and $100 the next week. Debbie and I just never knew, but early in our marriage, we had learned to trust God where our finances were concerned. We were tithers. God had spoken to us clearly about this principle of the tithe, of giving the first 10% of our, our, uh, of our income back to God several years earlier. And ever since we began to honor the Lord by giving the first tenth of everything to him, our needs had always been, been met, sometimes miraculously. What we didn't know was that God was about to take this to the next level in our lives. He says, I was scheduled to preach at a church for only one night, and as it turned out, it was the only meeting I was scheduled to preach at all month, which meant my entire income for the month was based on this one service and this one offering. From a financial standpoint, it meant that I had one offering instead of the usual four, five, or six. Uh, He said, although Debbie and I had grown in our ability to trust and rest in God, this represented a major budgeting challenge in the making. At the close of the service, the church received a love offering on our behalf, and shortly thereafter, the pastor approached us with an envelope. He said, Robert, I'm so pleased and amazed to tell you that this is the largest love offering this little church has ever given. God used you to bless us tonight, and I'm so happy that we're able to give this amount to you. When he opened up the envelope, he says, I found a check for roughly the same amount as our entire monthly budget. In one meeting, God miraculously provided what it normally took several meetings to produce. It was quite a lesson for us, but he says the lesson wasn't over yet. As I stood there holding that check and sort of basking in the warm glow of gratitude and wonder, he said something happened in me that forever changed the course and the quality of my life. Earlier in the evening service, a missionary had given a brief testimony and an update to the congregation. And now as I sort of glanced across the room, uh, the near empty sanctuary says I caught sight of him. And as I did, the unmistakable voice of God spoke in my heart. I want you to give him the offering, all of it. He was like, 
oh, in an instant, I went from pure euphoria to, to something about the size of panic. Lord, that cannot be your voice, he said. I mean, after all, I, I, you, he said, you just did a miracle to meet my needs. How could I possibly give it all away? Once again, the instruction came through, though, gently but clearly, I want you to give me the offering, all of it. Like a kid who doesn't want, want to hear what his brother or mother is saying, I wanted to stick my fingers in my ears and sing loudly, la, 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 I can't hear you. <laughs> Give him the whole offering. God said, trust me. He said, I just couldn't shake it. I tried to rationalize. I tried bargaining. I tried begging God, please, no. But the impression only grew stronger and stronger. Ultimately, he said, I waved the white flag. <laughs> And I said, okay, Father, I trust you. I endorsed the back of the check, folded it in half, and took, it, uh, took a quick glance around the room to make sure nobody was watching. Walking up to the missionary, I said something like, I really appreciated your testimony, and I please don't tell anybody about this, but I'd like you to have this offering. He says, the check is made out to me, but I've endorsed it and signed it over to you. I handed him the check, and I walked away. About an hour later, I found myself seated with 20 other members of that church at a pizza place. Across uh, from me sat a well-dressed man that I barely knew. I'd only met him one other time, he said. After a while, he kind of leaned across the table towards me, looked me straight in the eye, and he asked me this shockingly personal question. How much was your offering tonight? Naturally, his question flustered me. I sort of rocked back. back. I, I had never had anybody ask me that before, and especially a near stranger. His boldness so caught me off guard that I didn't know what else to do but to answer him, and so I told him the amount of the offering. I remember hoping that was the end of the conversation, but it was, wasn't. In the same sort of authoritative manner, he asked me another question. Where's the check? What nerve, I remember thinking. What was he up to? He says, of course, I no longer had the check, but I wasn't about to tell him that. And so he said, I'm not proud to tell you this, but this preacher lied through his teeth. <laughs> he says, uh, my wife has it, <laughs> I said nervously. She was sitting at the other end of the long table, a nice safe distance away. Now can we change the subject? Go get it. He said, I want to see it. The man was relentless, not knowing what else to do. I made a, a pretense out of getting up and going uh, to the other end of the table and ask, pretending to ask my wife for the check. Bending down close to her ear, ear I asked, how's your pizza? <laughs> Good, she replied, giving me a perplexed look. Great, glad to hear it, just checking, he said. I muttered, and then I headed back down to the other end of the table to, to see. He said, my ears then heard another lie floating past my lips. I couldn't even believe I was saying it. She left it in the car. He said, I, was trying, I said it trying to, in a way that kind of made it sound like it was very, very, very far away, right? He said, at this point, not only was I trying to hide the fact that I'd given my whole love offering away, but now I was covering up the fact that this evangelist who had just spent the evening proclaiming that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life had just lied through his teeth. He said, tiny beads of perspiration began to pop out all over my face. The gentleman across the table leaned in a little bit closer, getting uncomfortably close and said, the check's not in your car, Robert. He stated in a low voice. How do you know that? I responded, trying to sound a little bit offended. Because God told me, and he told me something else too. At this point, the man spoke words that have rolled like thunder through my life ever since. 
God is about to teach you about giving so that you can teach the body of Christ. With that, he slid a folded piece of paper across the table. It was a check. The amount to the penny was 10 times the amount that I had given away only an hour earlier. Is that not a great story, by the way? True story. True story. The way we handle our money, friends, is a huge deal. It's perhaps the truest indicator of the spiritual condition of our own hearts. It reveals what we value. It reveals what we love. It shows the degree of our faith. It reveals who or what we put our trust in. It's a huge deal to God. And God is constantly saying to you and to me in every area of our lives, but maybe none more so than this area of money where he's saying, will you trust me? Will you trust me with your finances? Will you trust me with your heart? Will you trust me with your life? Do you really believe that my way is better? Are you willing to follow or not? Martin Luther once said, when a person comes to Christ, when he's converted, three conversions are necessary. He says, first, the conversion of the head, then the conversion of the heart, thirdly, the conversion of the purse or your wallet. He says, of the three, the purse is the hardest. And it's true, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing to come to church and to sing the songs and to listen to messages and say, good message, pastor, right? And have some fun and connect with some other people. But when you start, when you start meddling, when God starts meddling with our money, that's getting real close to our hearts. That's getting real close to our souls. And it starts getting a little, a little personal. And we kind of often want to just back down. Of the three, it's by far the hardest. However, if you and I want to grow in our faith, if we want to become the people that God wants us to be, if we want to experience God and his provision and his reality in our lives more and more, we're going to have to learn to open up this area of finance to his plans. We're going to have to learn to surrender this part of our lives. We're going to have to learn to live out our faith in this area of finances. And as we do, as we open up our hands and our hearts, even our purses or pocketbooks to God, we will learn that we can trust God wholeheartedly. We'll learn and experience his blessing and his provision and his peace in our lives more and more. It really is the best way to live. All right, in the time we've got left today, I just want to be practical. I want us to look at four areas, kind of four things regarding finances, practical things that will help us grow in our faith in the upcoming year. And as we go through these, I want you to evaluate sort of each one of these areas and just say, sort of say, do I really believe that? Is that how I'm living my life? Is this an area that really is open and surrendered to God? Or is this maybe an area that God's nudging me this morning and saying, you know, this is a growth area. This is, this is a, a rhythm or a practice or a routine that you need to put into practice so you can come to life in 2016. Fair enough? You with me? Four things. Pretty practical. We're going to start here. This is the starting point for all of it is put God first is the first one, right? Put God first and give to him first. It's the, it's the principle known as the principle of the tithe. 
Now, this doesn't make sense according to the world's wisdom, the, the, uh, 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 a culture that's, that's concentrated and focused on give me more, 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 more. It's all about what you have and what you get and how big your house is and your, how fancy all these things are. It doesn't make sense from the world's perspective, but God says this is the first and foundational key to financial freedom and blessing is by giving back to God first, by bringing him what's known as the first fruits back to him, making him the first priority in our paycheck and in our lives. Not because God needs the money again, but because he wants your heart. He could do more with 90% than we can ever do with 100%. Giving to God first, it's the principle of tithing. It's taught throughout all the Bible. The Old Testament, it's taught of all over the place. And it's sort of the starting point in the New Testament. A friend of mine said this week, he said this. I thought it was a great quote. I wrote it down in my journal. He said, tithing is like the training wheels on generosity, right? It's like training wheels. Tithe, tithing is the thing that sort of teaches us and helps us to learn to put God first. It helps us learn to become generous people like our God is generous. Tithing means literally just giving the first 10% of our income back to God. Now, I know this is sort of a touchy one for some of us. And if our worldview, it really is, is founded on this idea that happiness comes from stuff, then you'll think I am plumb out of my mind. I know it's countercultural, but stick with me here because God says this, living this way, is better. It really is. It really is better than just accumulating stuff and money. Listen to a few of these scriptures. We'll start out with Proverbs 3, uh, 9 through 10. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth, the, with the first fruits of all your crops, again, in an agrarian culture, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. It's God's wisdom and God's economy, right? It's God's math, so to speak. He's saying, you know what? If you have 10 and you take one away for a tithe and you give it to God first and you open up this whole area of your finances, what is left is not nine, but it's something greater than 10, <laughs> right? It doesn't, it's not, it's not good math, but it's God's economy. It's, it's how things tend to work in his world. When you honor God, when you put him first in your life, God works and shows his provision and his power, and he brings blessing to you in unbelievable ways. I can't explain it exactly, but it's true. When we put God first, when we bring our tithe to God, so to speak, to show our gratitude, remembering that it's all his anyway as a way of saying, God, I trust you with my life and with my tomorrow. When we bring our offerings to God like that, he blesses us and it's just better. Now, does that mean that he'll give you everything you want and a new caddy will be waiting for you at home? No, of course not. His blessing is not always financial, but I'm amazed at how often we can experience and see and know his blessing financially too. Malachi 3.10 puts it very similarly. He says this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. The only place in scripture he says that, test me in this. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. It's a challenge that God gives us in a promise. He says, test me in this. Try it and see if I'm not faithful. See if I don't take care of your needs. See if there isn't blessing that's a part of it. It's just better, he says. Like I said, it doesn't particularly make sense from the world standpoint, but it is so true. It is more blessed to give than receive. 
When we give to God, we experience blessing. Sometimes we see it financially, sometimes in other non-tangible ways. But we as a family have seen this over and over and over and over in dozens and dozens and dozens of ways over the years. When finances have been tight for us, especially in early years for us, uh, we'd be struggling being like, man, God, if we write out this tithe check, right? I'm not sure how all the other, how everything's going to work out this week, you know, how everything's going to play out this month. There have been times where giving has been such an act of faith, and yet we made that commitment right away, the, right away in our marriage and said, you know what, we are going to put God first in our finances. We want him, we want his plans and his wisdom to be lived out in every area of our lives. And so we would sit down, we would write that check and sort of sometimes fearfully, you know, put it in the offering bucket or plate when it comes by, and then prayed our heads off and been like, God, you're... We're trying to be obedient here. We're trying to follow your wisdom, but we need you to work. And I can't tell you how many times God has worked that out, right? Where, where money that we weren't expecting would show up, where I, I've told you the story before, but we had weird instances even, like where cash would show up under a hotel room door in the exact amount that we needed when we didn't know anybody in the place we were staying. Stuff, I mean, stuff that you, you could... Try and say it's coincidence, but when you see that time and time and time and time and time and time again, you know what you learn? You say, you know what? I think God's faithful. <laughs> I think what he says in this is true. I can't explain it, but when we honor God with the whole of our lives, there is blessing and we get to see God work. It's powerful. When we honor God with our wealth, with our income, there's blessing that's associated with it. I remember experiencing this at our church in Wisconsin. Uh, for whatever reason, it, it, it's always been a practice, like I said, ever since Tina and I have been married, it's always been a practice for us personally. But uh, maybe, I don't know, six, seven, eight years ago or something like that, uh, we, I, I sat down with some of the leaders from our church and we were talking about this whole issue of tithing. And we said, you know, it's, it's something that we've never done as a church. I mean, we supported missionaries and we'd done all kinds of other things. I don't know why it never occurred to us, but we said, you know what, I, I think, I think maybe God's prompting us that we should take the first 10% of what we get as a church and give it away as well. I mean, it, 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 give it away towards church plants and towards missionaries and towards other people that were outside the walls um, of our, our church. And we made this decision in the middle of the year. And to be honest, it kind of stressed me out because we were like, man, we weren't even meeting budget as it was. I'm not sure how this is all going to work out. We, the, the, the money that we're going to give away then, like we kind of already had plans for it. Like, you know, in the, in the budget. I'm like, I don't know, God. But we prayed about it. We had a clear sense. God saying, yeah, this is what I'm asking you to do. And so we started doing it. We prayed and we started uh, put, taking 10% and sending it back out the door. And you know what we experienced for, for the rest of that, for, for the rest of that year, our, our income went up 40%. I mean, and, and you look at that and you say, well, could you, it's probably just coincidence, right? Probably just, you know what? It's not. Because <laughs> we've seen it over and over and over again. It's better. It really is. It's better to follow God's plans for our lives, to follow God's plans, even for our finances. Again, does that mean that all your you know, financial pressure over if you, if you put him first and honor him with your first fruits? No. But this is the, the foundational step towards aligning our finances to God. It's God's wisdom. It's just better. 
Now you can choose to try and ignore it and just kind of keep going down the same road. We can, we can try and just live for stuff and ourselves and our own money. We can try and get more and more and more. You can go into debt up, up to your eyeballs, right? You can, you can just try and get more junk and buy more and more stuff. But the Bible says, you know what? That stuff leads to ruin. That stuff leads to turmoil. It leads to grief, and it does. Many people, many of us in the room could tell stories, right, about how when we've walked that path, myself included, man, it has led to regret. We are like, man, I blew so much money on stupid things, if only, you know, kind of stuff. But God says, when you put me first, there's blessing. It's better. It's better. I wonder if this is an area for you where you look at, you're like, have I honored God with my finances or is this something that I've been kind of holding back to myself and sort of saying, God, don't get too personal with this stuff, right? This is mine. Is this an area where God's saying, you know what, in this upcoming year, would you open up your hands and your heart to me and would you honor me with your money as well, with your heart really is what we're talking about. If this is an area you need to put into practice, I'd encourage you to do it. We've got, uh, I mean, if, if maybe your heart's there, but maybe the discipline of doing that on a regular basis is hard for you, you know what? We got a lot of people these days that are giving on our app. There's a great way you can set up recurring, recurring faithfulness kind of thing. Just say, you know what? I get paid on the 1st and the 15th or whatever. I get paid every week. Or maybe that's something that you need to do. Or we've got the, the same kind of thing on our website. Maybe you can, you can get some help with technologies to help automated faithfulness like that. Maybe it's just a matter of the discipline. Maybe for a while we'd, we'd put post-its and stuff around our computer of things that we wanted to make sure that we did. And so the first check that we'd write, there'd be a, a post-it that said, you know, let's honor God with our wealth. Let's honor God with our income. So maybe that's something that you need to work on. I'm, I got a couple more. I'll just hit a little bit more quickly. But the second piece, right, after putting God first, the principle of tithing is saving for the future, the principle of saving. Proverbs 21.20 says this, the wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. If you had to stereotype our country right now, would you say they're more like the wise man or the foolish man? <laughs> Clearly, right? We're not, we kind of stink at this whole idea of saving. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8 puts it this way. It says, go to the ant, you sluggard, which is, again, another word we should use more often. <laughs> I don't know, you slug. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. And yet, it says, what does it say? It stores its provision in summer and gathers its food at harvest. It's saying, man, even ants are saving. Why don't you learn a lesson from them, right? They're, they're tucking away when there's plenty so that when there's not, they've got cushion. They've got margin. What's the point? The point is this. God's wisdom equals savings and preparing for the future. Don't spend everything you get every month. Don't be a fool is the word the Bible uses. Instead, be wise and save. Put some away for the, for the future. I shared this uh, maybe a year or two ago, but the average Japanese person saves 25% of their income. Isn't that crazy? 25%. The average European spent, uh, or saves 18% of their income, but the average American, <laughs> first of all, I'll get to this in a second, but we actually, the average American actually spends more than they, than they, uh, than they actually make, but, but even out of those that do save, the average is 3%, 3%. 
The average Japanese person, 25% versus 3%, right? We are a spend everything we get and then some sort of culture. We are not a save it. We're, we're sort of an instant gratification society. But God says, you know what? It, wisdom teaches, right? Wisdom teaches don't spend everything you get. Spend less than that and put, start putting some aside. Proverbs 13, 11 puts it this way. Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money, even little by little, right, makes it grow. Save for the future is the point. Even a little bit, even 25 or 50 or 100 bucks a month or something. But put away a little bit and start a regularly planned amount and start saving for the future. Practice saving. Set a goal, a savings goal. Don't just spend it all. Don't just consume everything that you own. Instead, God says live with margin and space and save for the future. It's better, he says. It's not an income issue, never, it it hardly ever is, I should say that. It's really a lifestyle issue, choosing to live with less, at a little, little less than what we could potentially have so that we can live with freedom in this area. I wonder how you're doing in this area. Is, is savings a good gig for you? Savings is one of those things. We said, well, I was talking about automated giving earlier. This is one of those areas, that's how we save. If, if it's in my account, it's not going to be good, right? <laughs> You'll likely look at it and be like, oh, look, we still have 500 bucks in the account or something. I mean, whatever, you spend it. But it's one of those, we have several of those areas that we just have the, the uh, we set up auto withdrawals and auto takes money right away right after we after our tithe check the next thing is it, it puts money away for savings it's it's part of an automated monthly rhythm that we're, we're putting stuff away again and again and again it's not a huge amount believe me when i say that but it's a regular planned amount so that when the car breaks down or when whatever else happens right that we don't have to take out visa and do swipe swipe but there's space, there's margin, there's freedom because you plan, because you saved. Takes us to the third one. Third kind of principle is the get out of debt principle. Principle of financial freedom. The typical American, I, t- I just said this, spends more than they earn and then MasterCard owns them or Visa or whoever. Is that not true? It's the debt trap. And most Americans are, are in for more than $15,000 at an average percentage rate of 12 to 15%. I remember Tina and I laughing one time because we were watching TV and uh, this uh, credit card commercial came on board and it's called the Freedom Card. And I thought, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, right, right? Oh yeah, just go out and charge. There's freedom. Spend whatever you want. Go get what it's, it's the Freedom Card, right? But then, but then you get the bill, right, the next month and then is it so much the Freedom Card? It is more like the bondage card, right? Like then you have to be paying on that every month. Hundreds of dollars, right? Hundreds of dollars less that you have to spend every month because you have to keep repaying and repaying and repaying for sometimes 10 and 20 and 30 years. Ridiculous. The f- it's a mockery. The freedom card? <laughs> no, not so much. Proverbs uh, 22.7 says this. says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender here. Who here thinks that slavery, being enslaved to something, seems like a good idea? Does that seem like, oh yeah, I think I want to, right? And yet we do it all the time. It's true, right? We are enslaved by debt. The borrower, the person that takes the loan is a slave to the lender, and it is true. 
Like I said, the person with tens of thousands of credit card debt now has several hundred uh, less dollars less a month to spend. You throw on top of that car payments, house payments, school loans, everything else. Suddenly, are you free to spend your money as you choose? I read this week that uh, the average American spends 40% of their income before taxes, 47% paying on, on, on debt repayment. Half of your income. Anybody use an extra thousand or two thousand or three thousand dollars a month? I mean, can you imagine half of your income? It's like getting a 50% bump at work, right? That's craziness. 47% of our income. The, the majority of our income is already spent before we get it because we are enslaved in so many ways by debt. It's a trap, God says, and there's a better way to live. Now, let me be clear. I'm not trying to be a legalist on this. Does, does the Bible teach that you should never go into debt? No, right? That's not what it says. It said, but it is saying you should be super careful because <laughs> there's no such thing as the freedom card. When we, when we sign our name on something, when we swipe, swipe, when we go and take out another loan for this or that or the other thing, he's saying be very careful because there's, there's bondage that's attached to that. There's slave, and you don't know what tomorrow holds. Right? We, this week, we, we learned another couple hundred people in, in our area lost their jobs with cat. Right? You, you don't know, right? do you? And then, but you're still enslaved to make those payments week in and week out. So be very, very careful. The Bible teaches that we should repay what we have borrowed, what we have, uh, what we have gone in debt for, that we should repay those loans, that we should do it as quickly as we can. It further teaches that we should spend less than we make, that we should save like we just talked about so that we don't need to go into debt for so many of the things that we do. God warns us to live our lives with margin, with space financially, and to pay off our debts as soon as we can. Now again, let me remind you, God's, God's saying, man, this is better. If you follow my wisdom, it's better than the other way. You want to talk about freedom and peace in your financial world? You want to talk about that? Imagine for a second if you really could pay off your debts and you had 47% more income. Imagine if you could be saving month to month large chunks of money, right, that, that you could pull from because you don't owe them to credit cards or car payments or even mortgage payments. So imagine what that would be like. Imagine that as, as God prompted you, you could, you could experience, or, or I don't know how to say it, be the giver of, of extravagant generosity. If somebody, a family member, a friend is going through a rough time, you could, I mean, you could be such a blessing to them. Would that not be a blast to go and be able to give away and bless people that are in need? Imagine, talk about freedom and peace if we really could start walking the path, the, sort of the short-term loss for the long-term gain to start walking out of debt and into freedom. It's better. All right, fourth one. Develop and use a plan, the fourth kind of biblical principle here. Plan your spending. Know, know where your money's going and, and be intentional with a plan about it. It's the principle of budgeting. Plan how you're going to spend your money in advance. Plan ahead. Choose your priorities. Choose your values. Choose your faith. Choose what's important to you and make your money do what you want it to do uh, and, and really what God wants it to do. If you don't, it'll just get consumed 
in the course of life, won't it? If you don't have a plan, if you're not being intentional, if you're not following through on that plan, all of a sudden you'll just wonder where your money went because it's gone. It's like a mist that appears for a while and then vanishes. It's, that's what it is. The Bible teaches that the wise person plans ahead and the foolish person simply just lives for today and it's gone. Proverbs 27 puts it this way. Be sure that you know the condition of your flocks. Again, the agrarian, agriculturally based uh, uh, culture is what they're, what they're addressing here. Be sure that you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all times. Now, let me just say, uh, in these days, everybody was a farmer. Everybody was a shepherd, right? Flocks represented assets in this culture. It's what you had to live on. It's, what you, it's how you were saving away for a rainy day. And, and, and so God's saying, know the condition of your finances. Know what you have. Know where it's going. Somebody said one time, money used to talk, and now it just quietly slips away. And it's true, right? If we don't keep a careful watch on how we spend our money, it'll be gone and we'll have nothing to show for it. I think sometimes we end up in debt simply because we don't know where our money is going. And yet we live in a day in an age which is great for financial tracking. You can go on uh, online to your bank any day, any time of the day and see exactly what you have. There are, um, I, I listed some of these under resources, but there's all kinds of great apps and programs and stuff that can help you. Mint.com has a great app. It'll help you get a, a handle on exactly where you're spending your money, right? On exactly where it's going. Quicken is something we use at home where we can track every penny so we know where our money is going and you can make wise decisions and not just wonder where it all went. In today's day and age, there's no reason why we can't know the condition of our flocks, why we can't know where our money's going, and so that we can so that we can make wise decisions on there. But it can't just stop at just knowing the condition of your flocks. Listen to this. Proverbs 21:5 says it this way: the plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. I thought that was interesting. Haste leads to poverty. He's talking about sort of making rash and impulsive spending decisions. Any of us ever done that before? <laughs> yeah. They say 25% of all consumer purchases are bought on impulse, right? I see it, I like it, I want it, I buy it, right? That's sort of how it works. It's like, oh, I like that, I should have that. Oh, that's so cool, I should buy that, right, kind of thing. We, we, we make those quick decisions uh, on impulse and spend so much of our money that way. But God says haste leads to poverty. Simply buying whatever catches our eye, it'll drain you dry. Instead, God's saying, you know, it, why don't you, if you see something you want, why don't you pray about it? Why don't you save for it? Why don't you plan for it? And when you have the money, if you still desire it, go out and buy it and enjoy it, right? It's given for your enjoyment. It's fine. But don't just simply impulse buy because that leads to financial ruin. It leads to poverty. Instead of impulse buying, God says, you've got to plan your spending. You need to make some financial plans. This is simply choosing where your money, where you want your money to go rather than wondering where it went. It's making a plan that, again, reflects your values, your belief. It re reflects God's wisdom. And then choosing to follow through on that plan. The person who plans ends up profiting, God says. It's a matter of managing, managing our money rather than having our money manage us, right? Saying plan and budget. Use your money. Well, pretty much all the financial teachers and, and, and Christian financial planner guys will uh, teach this principle of like 80-20, maybe 70-30, depending uh, if you've got debt. Um, 
credit, especially credit card debt and stuff uh, or not. But they say, what if you live on less? What if you would come up with a plan? You'd put God first, and so you'd honor him and, and, and set yourself up like that so you give him the first 10%. What if you took another 10% and started putting that back for saving, right? That's the emergency fund, first of all, and then maybe some longer-term kind of savings kind of things so that you didn't have to just live paycheck to paycheck and freak out every time the refrigerator dies or the heater goes out or whatever kind of thing, right? What, what if you were to live on less so that you'd create financial margin? If you have debt, what if you took another 10% and started using that to pay down that debt aggressively? Man, I got some great articles. We don't have time for all this stuff. Uh, I've got packets and stuff in back with different articles. There's great resources on that, on the Ignite Church app you can look at, but there's tons written on this. Tons, I mean, T- talking about getting the debt snowball rolling, right? Kind of, you know, working in such a way that you can eradicate this kind of debt from your life, especially the stupid debt, right? The stuff that really costs us time and time again. Man, imagine if you put together a plan like that. Now, would it require some sacrifices to live that way? Would it? It totally would. And yet, again, the short-term crunch, imagine the rest of your life, right? Imagine what that eventually looks like where you've got a savings cushion, where you can afford to be generous, where you're honoring God with your finances, where you've got a plan that reflects your your priorities and God's priorities, and you're living that out with freedom. Imagine what that could be like to get out from underneath debt and live in God's wisdom. I get that this isn't normal, Right, I get, I get that this is an unusual way to live. I get that this is countercultural, but how is our culture really working this way? <laughs> I mean, how is normal working for most people? Fighting over finances is always listed at the top of the reasons for divorce. Right, we, we fight over money. We many, many, many homes have have uh, um, credit card debt where credit cards are maxed out. There's always record numbers of bankruptcies and foreclosures and all this kind of stuff that keeps happening cyclically more and more and more. It's a stressor. It's one of the, it's one of the most stressful things in our lives. Uh, all kinds of studies, all kinds of research has been done that. Can I suggest that normal isn't really working that well? Instead, God says, you know what? I've got something better. Would you honor me with your finances? Would you honor me with your heart and with your life? Would you open it up and put my wisdom into practice? With the principle of the tithe, would you honor me first? Put me first in your life in every way. With the principle of saving, right? Saying, would you take a portion? Does it have to be 10%? Those are it's sort of an arbitrary number. Maybe it has to be 5% for you. Maybe it has to be three. But, but would you start regular saving so that you don't have to live uh, overspending all the time. Uh, the, the principle of financial freedom, getting rid of debt and, and starting to aggressively pay that stuff down and really just coming up with a plan, a financial plan, a plan that honors God. Would you pray about it? Would you put his wisdom into practice and then live it out in the month to month? God says there is something better for you if you and I will not just hear it Right? Not just believe it, but do it. Put it into practice in our lives. My encouragement through this entire series has been, let's, let's put this stuff into practice. I got books on the back table. If there's something that would be helpful to you, take it with you. 
read it. If, you, if you're done with it at the end, you can return it, bring it back, give it back to me. If, if you want to keep it, you can keep it. You know what? If that'll help you, I would love, we would be glad to give those to you. There's some, I put some financial ones uh, on the bottom right of the table. Take, take a look. There's packets that have budgeting stuff, everything from saving for your kid's college to uh, getting out of debt to some, just some more articles on, on kind of biblical principles for your finances. Take them with, I've got 10 or 15 back there. If we run out, you can email me. I'd be happy to send you the PDF of all of them, but take it, use it, put it into practice. Go home before before you turn out the, the lights tonight. Would you talk about this with somebody? Would you process somebody? Would you kind of take a look at, at, at the condition of your flocks and say, how have we been doing? Have we been living out these four areas or is this a growth area? Is this something that God wants to do in me to start moving me closer and closer to freedom and the path that God has for me in 2016? Let's not just stop with knowing or hearing. Let's put it into practice and grow in the upcoming year. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that your plans are good, Lord, and I recognize that they're hard sometimes and, and it's so foreign and sometimes uh, our financial situation has become so overwhelming, it's hard to know what to do. But I pray, God, that today that you would speak, that you would lead, that you would direct, and that you teach us how to take your principles and put them into practice. I pray, God, that this year would be an unprecedented year of growth for us, that we as a church would honor you with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, that we'd love you more, that we would learn to follow you in every way, in every realm, that you would be honored and that you would lead us on the path to freedom. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.